you got your handout with you this morning, this might be a good time to take out the insert that's been placed inside it that has the scriptures and uh, some thoughts for today. We've been spending time thinking about the Lord's uh, encouragement and blessing for us to do what this word says up here, flourish, flourish. And we want to talk today about a big, huge part of our lives. For almost everyone, it's your work, flourishing at work or in work. Now, if you're retired, you're working at other things. If you're disabled, you're working at other things. There's a lot of ways to work, but uh, today we're going to look at that aspect of our lives and how it connects with our flourishing as believers and how we are called on to flourish at work and be a model, be an example. So it's uh, from the book we're f- f- focusing on and taking our time to go through is uh, 1 Thessalonians. If you want to get out your Bibles, that's a good thing. If you've got it on a device, that's another good thing. Give you an opportunity. But I have listed for you the verses of Scripture that we're looking at today. And we're going to look at 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to back up just slightly to catch, catch the... The, the, the phrase before, because he's saying, we urge you, brothers and sisters, that's kind of the phrase right before 11, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to make your ambition, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. <laughs> that's one that uh, parents can use on kids and grandparents can use on grandkids and Spouses can probably even use on spouses. Mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's dive into some prayer for a moment as we head into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this coinage of these words that challenge us about our work lives, about our private lives, about our individual daily lives. And so, Lord, we're asking you to illuminate and, 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 and lift up for us this morning application from this passage that would help us as brothers and sisters in today's world, that Paul would be urging us likewise to live lives that outsiders would gain respect from and would be brought to you because of our, our witness. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for the power that's in your word. May it be your word that we focus on this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul is exhorting or urging or encouraging these believers, these pretty new believers who he didn't have much time to teach to focus their lives. In fact, the first thing I want you to think about is this word aspire, aspire. Jot that down if you would. Aspire to live a quiet life. It's kind of like he's saying it, strive to live without strife. You know, be ambitious about not being too ambitious, okay? Put 
aspire to be living a quiet life. Most of us would not put those two phrases in the same category, in the same sentence, aspire or strive and quiet. (laughs) It's the idea of to be zealous. Another way of saying it is to devote oneself to a thing of personal value. Aspire. Devote oneself to a thing of personal value. The Apostle Paul would use this word from time to time. He'd say things like, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. It's kind of different than living a quiet life. I mean, it's hard to preach quietly, silently especially, you know? There is that one phrase that says, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary, (laughs) you know? That's what he's getting at. That's what he's getting at. But the apostle Paul would say, I aspire to preach the gospel. You know what else he said? He said, I make it my ambition to lay a church foundation where nobody else has built. I wanna go to the virgin territory where nobody else has proclaimed the gospel before and plant churches. So he did 17 churches the apostle Paul planted over the time of his ministry. That was his aspiration, his desire, his ambition. Now, so you got to kind of reconcile the scriptures because here he's saying, my ambition is to, and for you, is to live a quiet life. But his ambition was to preach the gospel and to plant churches. So we have to put those in categories it's called contextualizing. We have to bring into context both sets of scriptures. So here's three ideas about this quiet life, the quiet part of it. One would be to say little or nothing. Say little or nothing. Hold your peace. The second one would be to not speak in an inappropriate way. So only speak valuable things. Speak when you have something valuable to say. Otherwise, be quiet, silent. Third, and here I think is where he's going to rest, it's on the word rest, okay? Be quiet, be restful, remain at rest and in tranquility, and in tranquility. That is consistent interpretation with other scriptures. You reconcile it and contextualize it, remaining at rest because of the Apostle Paul's example. And he said other things to us, didn't he? He said, I want you to share your lives together. He said, I want you to bear one another's burdens. Well, how do you do that if you're silent, if you're too quiet, if you don't? In fact, there's times when he says, speak up. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How do we reconcile the command to sing and be rejoicing and be quiet? It's this way. By tranquil, restful, quiet living. It has to do with the heart condition. We're not agitated and upset and always busy. Instead, we're resting in the Lord. We're trusting, just like we sang about today. 
We're trusting him no matter what. We are not so anxious. And, and you know that anxiety medication is the number one med going out the doctor's door these days. Anxiety is killing us. This is the opposite. Don't be anxious for anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't forget to tell God thank you for his blessings. That's the passage. (laughs) Resting in the Lord. So as we live out our lives in this world, as we live out our lives in this world, do people see us as chaotic? Do people see us as anxious? Do the world's people around, the people of the world around us sense in us this calm in the midst of storm when everything else is going to hell in a handbasket? Do they look at us and go, but this person, this believer, this person who claims to be in Christ is at peace, is quiet, is centered, is tranquil. You see, that's what's making and will make a powerful witness to the world, to the world around us, because it has to do with where our hearts are. Wasn't it Jesus who said, my peace I give to you? Not as the world gives, give I unto you, but a peace that passes understanding. Yeah. See, we're still communicating. We're still vocalizing, but we're doing it in the rest of Christ, in the rest and peace of who he is in our lives. So let me talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about uh, listening. You know the scripture that says, be, this is from James, be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not help achieve God's righteous purpose. Quick to listen. You know that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. So I say it this way. When it comes to living a quiet life, aim low. Well, that's counterintuitive. Don't we want to aim high? No? Listen to what he says in peace and godliness. He says in 1 Timothy 2, pray for kings and all those in authority that that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and in all holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Because God wants all people to be saved, he says to us, pray for quiet lives, that the agitation will calm down and people will be able to hear over the noise, the Lord's love. See, that's the key thing that's at at, at issue here. The evil one wants to make things so chaotic. The evil one wants to make things in such, such disarray that the love of Christ The message of God never gets through. If agitation is always coming at us, if we're getting hit with a barrage of information and agitation, guess what doesn't get through? 
the peace of Christ. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we've got to have the deep experience and reveling in and, and, and dwelling in the peace of God, the rest of God, or we're going to miss the opportunity to help people be saved, help people to come to a knowledge of the truth. His children, all of us who are believers, are called to be peacemakers. He's the Prince of Peace. We are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Didn't he say that on the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> We're blessed when we bring peace to the situation. And folks, that ought to be our standard procedure. When we walk in, people go, oh, feels different here. Not, oh no, they're here. Oh my gosh, who invited them? You know? First, uh, neighborhood association meeting that I went to. So it's the Bigelow Highlands Neighborhood Association. Met down here at the fire station. We were just getting the facility here. So it's a number of years ago. And they get around the room. And they're asking where people live. And I live in Tumwater. I don't even live here. Do you remember this? <laughs> I've talked about this, I think, before once. And so they're going around the room. I live in this place. I live in McCorkle. And all of a sudden they get to me and I say, well, I'm Pastor Bruce. I pastored the church on the corner of Fur and You. And it's just like the air was sucked out of the room. <sighs> oh, no. Who invited a pastor? Oh, my gosh. That ruins our meeting. Oh, no. Well, so then I said, we're the church with the dog park. Oh, dog park. You're the church with the dog park. You're a fun church. You're a great church. It was like total difference because we were... Dog Park Church. Now, I don't know if that if that's resembles or, or is reflective of your experience, but that is the common experience of the day, okay? We are not currently thought of, it, and that's okay that we're not thought of maybe like we used to, oh, Christian's here, hallelujah. No, it doesn't happen like that. No, 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 no. Yeah, but... If we outpace that bad reputation that some have given, that some brothers and sisters have given to the church and have given to the body of Christ, if we outpace that with a sense of peace and even things like dog park and community garden to soften the feeling of what we're about or what we've been about in the past, okay? People should experience us, not with that, oh, no, but instead with that, great. What's the difference? Peace. What's the difference? Calmness. Gentleness. In fact, that's the key kind of thought here. Aim low. Let God's word make you into a peacemaker, a change maker, a storm quieter. No, it wasn't too much late. later. They said, could we use your building for like a cooling center when it's really, really hot out and you've got air conditioning? Yes. Can we use your building for our meetings? They meet here every month now. They think of us as their church. 
even though in many cases they've never been here for worship, but because we're overcoming those stigmas and those reflections that have been unhealthily put on us by the evil one, he's calling on you and I to be so peaceful that it doesn't ruffle our feathers. We're not saying, well, then I'll just get out of here. <sighs> Shake the dust off your feet. Well, it's not a time for that. It's a time to be winsome. It's a time to so focus on the peace of Christ in our hearts, in our lives, that our behavior <laughs> helps people come to a knowledge of the truth. That's the whole goal here. That's the reason he's writing this about work and about quiet living, so that our reputation in the community, our reputation in our, in our fields of work, our reputation when we're at work, comes back to bless the kingdom comes back to, back to bless people. Jot this down. So I aim low. Pursue the greatness <laughs> of gentleness. Okay, now this again is a kind of an oxymoron, kind of a, you know, does this fit? Kind of counterintuitive. The greatness of gentleness? Yes. You see, it was Jesus who came with gentleness. That's how he described himself. The one time he described himself, he said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. You will find rest. It's the same thing I just mentioned. You will find rest for your souls in me. Because he's gentle, because he's humble, we can come to him. There are no pretexts. There are no... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You see, with Christ, we're always... It's that number three definition. It's that number three definition, to remain in tranquil, tranquil quietness in the midst of a chaotic, cumbersome, burdensome, persecution-centered world. So what do we do? We pursue the greatness of gentleness. Let me go through this real quick. This is, uh, even if you're married to an unbeliever, Gentleness and quietness is the virtue. Look what he says. Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word. So you're talking about an unequally yoked marriage here. A Christian wife and a non-Christian husband. Okay? Even if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over <laughs> without words. In other words, shut up. Quiet down. Don't let your words get in the way of what your behavior, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Wives, you will lead your husbands to an intricate, de devoted life with Christ if you focus on your love for him, on your behavior. If you yap, if you gripe, if you constantly use your mouth, counterproductive, un effective, ineffective. You may be, they may be won over without words by the behavior that when they see what? The purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, 
Don't think that that's the answer. Our culture puts everything on that. He says, false, get away. Don't let the outward adornment be your focus. Braiding of hair and elaborate styles, wearing gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be the inner self. What's he talking about here? He's talking about calm, peaceful spirit, right? The inner person of the heart, the unfading beauty of a gentle, circle that, gentle and quiet spirit. That's gonna speak volumes. It's gonna speak way more than the words. Which is of great worth in God's sight. For it is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. It is all about your character. It's all about your behavior. It is pursue the greatness of gentleness. Yeah, that's where the value lies. That's where we find the peace that passes understanding. When we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, his favor rests on believers and believers rest in him. That's the idea, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth, great value in the sight of our God. Because that's the way holy women of old used to adorn themselves. Let's move on. The first one had to do with aspiring, and I call it listening. This one has to do with living. Okay, it has to do with mind your own business. We're not talking about private affairs here. We're not talking about just, we're talking about private affairs as opposed to public or political affairs. Even in the day that Paul wrote this, there was a big distinction between private affairs and public affairs. And here he's saying, mind your private affairs. Deal with the things that affect you and that you can affect. Don't be so worried about the things that are outside your control. Have you thought about this before? For 2,000 and some years, the body of Christ has existed in any and every culture, in any and every political framework. The body of Christ transcends the political scene. Don't let, don't let the world try to wed Christianity with the political scene. That is not of God. Never will be. The politics of today, we can affect them to some degree, but church of Jesus Christ, rise up above it, just like the church in communistic countries or abusive countries, anywhere else, totalitarian regimes. The church is independent of the politics. Are you catching that? Deal with what he's called you to deal with and let the rest of the chips fall. Note that you may be going into, we may be going into a time of persecution, a time when the body of Christ is under outright persecution. Be ready. Be ready for that. But don't wed your thoughts to political situations. Don't focus on the politics of the day. That's not the calm, peaceful, rested person. What do you want to focus on? Jesus Christ, his victory, 
his leadership, his sacrifice, oh, it makes a huge difference. Mind your own affairs. Mind your own business. How many of you have said that to someone before? I'm thinking grandkids and stuff. Just get out of that person's business. Just mind your own business. Grandkids always worried about the other grandkid. But what about him? I, I got to do my homework and he doesn't have to. Uh, yeah. Mind your own business. You know, if what's good for kids, it's good for us adults. Be focused. Be focused. For I fear when I come and find you, not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousies, anger, hostility. Here's the two. Slander and gossip, conceit and disorder. He says, I don't want to find this among you. This is Corinth. I hope that you don't find it in me. So he's saying, I mean, look at that list. He puts that along. Now, Peter, in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he puts gossip alongside some other. He says, don't find yourself to be a murderer, because no murderer is going to go to heaven. Don't find yourself to be thieves. There's no thief that's unrepentant that's going to go to heaven. He starts going through this list, adulterers, and, and you know what then he says? Gossips. And I'm like, wait a minute. Are you putting gossip in the same list as murderers? Yes. Part of that's to help us know that all sin is, is to be dealt with in the same way. Repent from it and turn to the Lord. But it's also to get us to sit seriously, when you gossip about somebody, you may be ruining and murdering the relationship. You may be so destructive in the relationship that it's worse than physical murder. Now, we have a hard time with that. That's part of what he's getting at, though. That's part of what his focus is on. If you're, uh, he uses the term meddler. Uh-oh. Gone to meddling. Somebody says that about the pastor. Okay, now you've gone past preaching, and now you're meddling in our lives. You know? But that's the word he uses here. Murderer, thief, evildoer, or meddler. I mean, just imagine for a minute. You're trying to witness to somebody at your work, and a few weeks or months earlier, they've gotten a report that you've been gossiping about them. You you think they're going to listen to the word of God for coming from your mouth if you've been disobedient to the word of God and it's outright? I mean, that's what's at stake here. He's saying, don't allow other people's business to, to, to capture your thoughts and energy. Instead, stay focused. Stay focused. Focus on Christ. Focus on his heart. Don't let gossip overtake you. Don't let meddling happen. One person said, sweep your own steps. Sweep your own porch. Remember John? Remember Peter and John in the New Testament in in, uh, the end of the Gospels? I think it's John chapter 21. And, and, And Peter's there being asked, you know, Peter, do you love me? We talked about that last week. Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So then Jesus tells Peter, here's how you're going to die. Somebody's going to lead you like you're a little baby. You're going to be led to your death. And he was. 
And as Jesus predicted Peter's death, it sounds like Peter accepted that. I'm going to die like the master. In fact, you know, he, he, he refused to be hung in the same way. So they, history says they hung him upside down on the cross. But as Peter is hearing about his death, he does the same thing we do so often. He says, but, 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 but Lord, what about him? What about John? If I'm going to die like that, if it's going to cause me sacrifice, what about him? He's your favorite. How's he going to die? What's going to become of him? And I just think that phrase, we don't get a ton of details, but basically what Jesus says is, uh, mind your own business. He says, what's that to do with you? Peter, I've just told you to be ready because you're going to be given a huge sacrifice. Don't worry about John. John will deal with John. John ends up dying on the island of Patmos as a prisoner. They tried to kill and couldn't. He's the only one of the disciples, of the apostles, who didn't die a martyr's death that we know of. But here's the focus. Peter, mind your own business. You got plenty of things to deal with, Peter. And boy, did Peter get it. It seems like from this point forward, Peter got the very thing we're trying to learn today. Mind your own business. He's the one who could stand up on the day of Pentecost and lead 3,000 people to a faith in Jesus and get baptized. Why could he do that? He started minding his own business. Stop focusing on what other people are or aren't doing. It's not a little kid saying, yang, 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 yang. Focus on what God's called you to do. Focus on what God's placed you. Acts chapter 17 says, you and I were called to live in this day and this age. God, it says, planned the times and the seasons that we're to live. I mean, do you believe that? Don't say, why am I living today? <laughs> say, thank God I'm living today. God called me to live today. We're going to live today like he's called me to live it. We got a lot of business to do, don't we? Yeah. Lord, what about him? Don't say that. Say, Lord, help me to be a man and woman of calm, peace, peacemaking, and gracious, loving this is kind of contrary to what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist didn't say, what about him? He said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Oh, that we would get the John rather than the Peter. <laughs> he must increase and I must decrease. Yeah. So related to that, what about him? <laughs> Be content. Be content. Those who get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. See, our lack of contentment, those who want to get rich fall into this temptation I encourage you to read psalm 37 just emphasizes our trusting of god in the midst of our 
contentment. Let me list one more here. Be busy, but don't be a busy body. <laughs> do you guys like words like I do? Say busy body. Busy body. Isn't that a fun one? Be busy, but do not be a busy body. I hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. Notice this is the same church he's writing to, but a second letter. This is Second Thessalonians. Some among you are idle and disruptive. See, what seems to have happened is their enthusiasm for the second coming turned into excessive focus on the second coming. They began to be um, unhealthily focused on the second coming. They began to sit around and say, well, if the Lord's coming back, maybe we don't need to work. Maybe we just need to wait on the Lord. Maybe we need to stop earning an income. Incomes aren't going to help us when we go to heaven. They began to, to, to focus on that. That's where they were idle and they were even disruptive. It says, they are not busy. They are busy bodies. Wow. It just kind of says it right there. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus to settle down. That's a lot like the quiet down, right? Like to be quiet. And to earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. See, don't obsess over God's blessings or God's challenge to other Christians. Focus on where he's got you to it. That's not to be selfish about it, but it's to be focused on what you can control. Nine times out of 10, when I meet with someone who's got a relationship challenge in their life, my main job is to sort out what can you control? <laughs> Let's look at that. And what's outside of your control? Once you get those patterns down, then focus on what you can control and that's it. You can't change another person. They've got to change, God's got to change them and they've got to change themselves. You can only work on you and God's work in you. Except for the fact that wives can influence their husbands. Spouses can influence their spouses. Yeah, the other way around. Yeah. So let me just mention, we have an online world these days. And so often we look at other people either uh, desiring what they've got, their ideal Facebook focus, or critically focusing in on, on them. Don't be drawn in to that. Change what you can change. Let's focus on the last one here. It's interesting. He said work, and he, he's even almost focusing on blue-collar work. He's saying work with your hands. Now, some of us have keyboards. <laughs> some of us have phones. that We work with our hands. I don't, I don't know if Paul ever had that in mind. But whether it's white or blue, he's calling on us to be productive. The principle pops out. Work with your hands. So instead of listening or living, the first two, this is laboring. Okay, this is where he's focused on, laboring. I think it was John F. Kennedy used to give this speech. 
And he loved to refer to this Colonel Davenport, who I guess was the Speaker of the House in Connecticut. And uh, Colonel Davenport, one day, the entire house was in session, and something um, climate-wise was happening, and the whole place turned totally dark. It was ominous. Everybody was like, what happened? It's the middle of the day, and it's dark out. And some of them were believers, and they said, the Lord's coming back. It's the second coming. So uh, Davenport said this. They thought it was the beginning of the end. He said, if this is the day of judgment, it either is approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment or anxiety because they were like, let's get out of here. (laughs) He said, if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Let's get the candles and get busy. Okay? And of course, the... Darkness subsided, and they, don't, they still don't have an explanation for what happened. It could be like the day that Jesus was crucified. The Bible says at noonday, it went dark. could be the same kind of cataclysmic, climatized thing. But it says, I want to be found busy doing what my duty is when the Lord returns. And that's what Paul's writing to them, saying. He's saying, you've got a job to do, you're, you're trying to lead people to Christ and you're working to support yourself. Be at it. Be about it. Don't be derailed. Don't be off track. See, Paul was a, a tent maker. I mean, he sewed fabric canvas together to make tents. And he said, I'm doing this so you don't have to take up an offering for me. He said, I don't want the offering to ever be a barrier. That's why we do boxes and don't pass an offering. We've had too many people say, oh, all the church wants is my money. Hey, the body of Christ is supported by believers. And we don't have to force people to give, coerce people to give through passing. No, Paul did the same thing with his work in tent making. Jesus, for 30 years, spent time in a carpenter's shop, according to the scriptures. Joseph's carpentry followed by Jesus. He, in a way dignified, hard work. I love the way the um, chosen portrays Jesus as a hard, creative worker. That makes sense. That, that's consistent with the scriptures. And work is elevated, not as a curse. Work is a gift, not a curse. Where does work start? In the Garden of Eden, man is commanded to name all the animals. Man is commanded to tend to the garden before the curse of sin ever affects the world. Work's not a curse. Now, some things have happened to our world that make work less enjoyable. Weeds, disease. You start going through the list of the curse of sin. There is a curse on top of it, but work's not the curse. In fact, I'm convinced we're going to be working in heaven. Well, the rewards are going to be there and the, and the liabilities are not. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. The curse of the ground will be gone and we get to serve the Lord with gladness for eternity. Oh my goodness. 
Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. But must, underline the word must, must work. If you've been a taker and you become a Christian, guess what you become? A giver. You stop being a taker. He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. God calls on us to jump in. <laughs> We're doing something useful with their own. Same kind of phrase, isn't it? Parallel passage, we would say, that they may have something to share with those in need. So if you've got needs and you're working for them and you meet those needs, the goal is not to build wealth. The goal is to share with others who have needs. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with building some, some wealth, but I love Dave Ramsey's focus when he says, you can be more generous than you've ever been able to be. Get out of debt. Stop paying the, the, being the s- servant to the lender, and you'll be able to be more generous. You'll be able to give to those who are in need, and it is so much fun. It's such a blast. We get to focus on it being a gift. It's a gift to be able to be generous. Provide for yourself, and if you don't have any uh, need for uh, depends. If you're independent in your own living, then you have that great opportunity to share with others who are in need. Now, I mentioned earlier the work is for the Lord. Let's let's take a minute for that because um, I mentioned earlier that their enthusiasm for the second coming had turned to extremism and they just thought the lord's coming very soon the lord will be here any minute why work you know work can be kind of hard work can be kind of a pain why work if the lord's coming back tomorrow it's kind of like the millerites do you know about the millerites there was a man named william william miller who was a great pastor he was the beginning of the seventh day adventists And that's where the word comes from. He thought the advent, the second advent of the Lord was going to happen any minute. So as he preached, this group of people here in the United States said, well, very thing they said, we don't need to work. Don't plant your crops. Don't get ready. Don't don't, um, breed the herds because we're all out of here. And they literally waited 1844, they waited, and they waited, and the Lord didn't come. And they were embarrassed, but they were also destitute. They had not planted their crops, and so everything was gone. They ended up being rescued by some other believers because they were failing to do what he says to do, work as if the night's coming. Don't fail to do your responsibility because we know no man knows the day or the hour. Be ready at any moment because as a thief comes in the night, and you're not ready for a thief, <laughs> or you would be, he wouldn't be a thief. So he says, carry your own weight and don't press in on others. Work is for the Lord. Now, here's the passage that we often use, Colossians to zero in on the Lord is your boss. 
Not the one who pays your paycheck. Not the state you might work for. Not the private person that might employ you. The Lord is, and here's, slaves, even if you're a slave, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their eyes on you to carry carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, underline that. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for what? The Lord. The Lord. Look at your work, not as a curse, but as a gift. Look at your boss, not as the human being that's paying your paycheck, but as the Lord. He's the one that's employing you. And he's giving you this opportunity. Number one, to provide for your needs. Number two, to provide a place of witness. Work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ, what? You're serving. I mean, he emphasizes it again. It's the Lord Jesus Christ you're serving. Every bit of energy you've got is from him. Use it for his glory. Use it in his kingdom. Use it in your work and your work life. Work as for the Lord. He is your only boss. He's the one that you work for. Well, a passage from Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3. Such people command you and urge you to settle down and earn the food they eat. Paul is correcting this problem that's happening in their church where they're not working, they're, they're not earning their food. Now, if someone is unable to work, this wouldn't apply, but it says, settle down. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing good. This is where the apostle Paul says, if a man won't work, let him not eat. Now, it doesn't say if a man can't work, let him not eat. It says won't. We're talking about able-bodied, available workers who will not work. Often we confuse that with those who are unable or disabled or cannot work. There's a big distinction in that. Work is our, uh, is our witness. Work is a gift. Work connects us with the Lord, but work is our witness. See, work's the place that God's given us to show his love, to show our behavior, to show our personality, and, and the love that we have for the Lord. It is our place of work, of work witness. Acts chapter 20. And by working hard, we must keep, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, what happens if we're takers? We never get to experience the joy of that verse. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When there is a surplus, we can become generous. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, one more time. This is the NIV. Win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Live out your values in front of the community. Love one another. Work with your hands and be respectful. See, your work is your mission field. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to South America. 
You just have to go to work. You may be working from your bedroom. These days you can influence over the internet just as much as you can influence maybe in person. He's calling you to be the witness, to be the one. You win the respect of outsiders. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each and every person. Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, you, you, believers, are the light of the world. That's where he said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and place it under a bushel. He says, no, they light a lamp and they put it on a stand where it can give light to all who are in the house. What's the house there? Our place of work. We give light everywhere we go. Everyone we see, everyone we meet should sense there's a light and a life in this person. They are being drawn to Jesus, the light of the world, through us, the light, or maybe we'd say lights of the world. Work is our witness. So we've got this opportunity. We've got this listening, being rooted in God. We've got this idea of living it out, minding your own business. And we've got this idea of laboring, laboring for him. Let's stand and pray together. Gracious, loving Father, thank you for calling us to be those who would be quiet and peaceful and peacemakers. Would you help us with that, Lord? Just show us more and more opportunities for quietness to control our lives. Lord, thank you for being a God who's called us to mind our business, to do what you've called us to do and not to worry about anybody else that we can't control. Lord, thank you for calling us to be focused in our attention on the work that you place in our hands. Let us not put our hand to the plow and then look back. Let us just move forward with you. Lord, would you help us to be a body of Christ that is so magnetic in their witness that we draw people to you. May we be so shining in the darkness that people are drawn to the light of the world through us. Lord, may we be those people who cause peace to flow because of you in our lives. We tell you again, Lord, that we love you. We give you again our lives. We give you our work, the use of our hands, our creativity. We give you everything, Lord. Would you use it to grow your kingdom? Honor yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.